0: There's a lot of great trail cameras out there. I've run the TactiCams and that's a great system, especially their cell cameras. I've run a lot of different brands that I've I've recommended to you guys in the past, but the right fit at the right time is the Spy point trail cameras. I have uh, a couple of the Flex G36s that are cell cams. They do a really good job for keeping track of everything that's going on on my property. And I also have, for you know, kind of out in the back country, I've got these Force Pros. Man, the picture quality on those Force Pros is is just amazing. If you guys saw some of the bear pictures I was showing you during spring bear, that was a Force Pro. Really great cameras. I, I'm really excited that they are uh, they chose to sponsor the show because I've been. I've been using Spy Point for a long time and, and I think you guys are going to be just as happy as I am with them and check them out at SpyPoint.com and let them know the Western Huntsman sent you some of you might be old enough to remember back in the day when you can go to Walmart and get you a Savage rifle for very cheap and they did a good job but they weren't like equipped for some of the hardcore hunting out there that we do today if that's a memory that you have with Savage like I do i'm telling you it's not like that anymore savage arms is one of the premier firearms manufacturers dedicated to us hunters i have this freaking uh savage 110 it's the apex hunter and this thing is amazing I love the AccuTrigger. You can also get them with the AccuFit, which allows you to adjust the stock. So if you're buying them for youth hunters or whatever, or just, you know, rifles fit you different. It's so flexible. It's so perfect for every hunter. It's just not the same Savage that it was 30, 40 years ago. It's a great firearm for everyday use while hunting, and they support hunters, and they support this show. And I really appreciate Savage Arms check them out anywhere firearms are sold or go to savagearms.com to find out more there exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away and we won't stand for it those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul in this show
1: sideways yeah that's how we run our cameras all the time when we're filming
0: yeah i know that it requires you to do it this way i found out i tried to do it that way
1: last time (laughs) how's that jim that's perfect man how you doing good good Good. let me let me set this i got a trail camera holding this up (laughs) there we go (laughs) (laughs) that's how a couple of hillbillies out in the woods do this stuff man i just got out of the woods jim is that enough light
0: Yes, sir. We are live now, so you you've got good light. I I see. Uh, I'm looking in your background. I see uh, you, you've uh, got some antlers back there, and a, a couple of little deer. I mean,
1: come on, what's going on with that? Well, you know, somebody's gotta somebody's gotta keep somebody's gotta take care of the little guys. <laughs> that's that's my job. That's my job. I figured it out. <laughs> Jim, I can't hear you
0: very good. Can you hear me good? Yeah, I, I can hear you pretty good. Is your volume all the way up and all that?
1: I, yeah, uh, mine's cranked.
0: Okay, I do not do this all that often, man. So uh, bear with me. But hopefully the audience can hear. Maybe I'll I'll do that. So there we go. Can you hear me a little better now?
1: Yeah, you are the same. I can still hear you. I just I'm totally my volume's all the way up, and you're just you're just kind of quiet, but I can hear you. <laughs>
0: Okay, I got people out, out there saying it sounds good from their end. Hopefully hopefully, you can
1: hear me all right, man. Long As long as the people, I guess, out in the audience can hear us good, I, I'm good enough.
0: Good deal.
1: All right, well, everybody, uh,
0: welcome to uh, our Instagram Live on uh, School of November series. Uh, we're recording this so that it's also going to go on the podcast. I'll put that out like tomorrow. Um and we are going to be talking about hunting whitetail in November. We're just getting into kind of this uh, epic time of the, uh, of the month uh, for, for a lot of us. And, and this, this conversation is going to be mostly focused on hunting whitetail in the West on public land. And uh, for those of you that have not been addicted to whitetail hunting in the West on public land, uh, let me tell you something, you're missing out. Uh, it's a great, great time. And, and um, there's a couple of guys. That I always go to when we're talking whitetail hunting in the mountains, and one of them is sitting with me tonight, and his name is Troy Pottinger. And Troy uh, is one of the uh, one of the most prolifically successful whitetail hunters I know, um, and he's not shooting little bucks. He's shooting these big five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half year old bucks uh, on in in North Idaho, Washington, Montana, all you know, just the, the kind of, well, let me put it to you this way. I don't know. I know a handful of people that get it done like Troy and, and I want Troy. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you're with? Cause I know you're with whitetail addiction. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and then we'll, we'll kind of roll into, into some whitetail, uh, philosophy here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. sounds good. Thanks for having me, Jim. Uh, just a born raised North Idaho boy. Uh, you know, fell in love with whitetails when I was young and really got serious about them. Um, well, fell in love with them deeply when I was young, but really got serious about them right out of college. So, um, you know, put my whole life into it. And back in the 90s, I late 80s, early 90s, I decided all I really wanted to do was bow hunt whitetails. So I think I got out of college in 91 or two. I think it was. I think it was 92. Um and I just decided that I wanted to always give a buck the most respect I could by either killing him close or not not shooting him at all because I I just figured if I could get in close and get inside of his comfort zone that he would never allow a human in and get it done, then I thought that'd be doing something in the mountains of Idaho. And, of course, I hunt Washington and Montana too. But. uh that that journey, you know, just love affair and life with the mountains and hunting these big whitetails has really turned into some really amazing things for me. I've met some unbelievable people along the way. Mm-hmm. And I got, I started way back, I started using a guy by the name of Andre DeQuisto's tree stands, And, you know, my back. Background is is in kinesiology and biology. So, you know, I've been a teacher for a long time. And then I grew up a logger's son too. So I've logged and worked in the mountains and the woods my whole life when I'm not teaching, I still do to this day. Uh, But all that to say, I I have always been a researcher and an experimenter, and uh and I and I when I first started trying to kill these whitetails in Idaho with a bow and arrow, I realized that. All the equipment out there was pretty much junk. Um, And and the reason I say that, it was way too noisy. Um, Steel made way too much noise when it was cold. So I found this guy out of Wisconsin. I was reading about him and killing these giant bucks. His name's Andre DeQuisto, and he made these incredible cast aluminum tree stands. Well, to fast forward, uh, I started using Andre's tree stands back in the days where I don't even know if people – knew what they were out west and i just did my research and found something that was incredibly quiet and solid and safe and that i could pack around on my back and go anywhere i wanted the mountains and set up and and tear down and move around and anyway um ended up getting to know andre and also got involved with hunting scrapes very heavily when i was young because in idaho you can't bait and I wanted to kill deer close with a bow and arrow only. So between Andre and getting into the biology of scrape hunting and really diving into what whitetails are really all about uh, with scrapes, um, basically treated it like, like trapping whitetails to get them close to me. And I just started, started hunting scrapes out of Andre's stands and uh, really have been a student of the game. You know, if you think you know it all, you don't know shit. So the way I look at it is I'm always learning every day. My mind is wanting and open to learning and uh, things happen. I started knocking down a lot of big bucks with a bow and arrow uh, out here in the West back in the 90s and 2000s. And, you know, I even think back then it probably shocked a few people because it's just not a conventional way of hunting whitetails. Uh, out here yeah back then no so i mean, you know i, so, I think to, uh,
0: troy you were like the first person i ever met that uh, out west consistently hunted in a tree stand and and uh was successful that way because like i i don't know it's not something you think about when you think about western hunting you know well, i grew up hunting
1: mule deer you never used a tree stand and, right and, and so and,
0: it was super and jim you're
1: right. And it, sorry i can bar- sorry i can barely hear you just if you have to get through to me jim i just uh, hard to hear you but yeah you're you're correct and i've never been one to follow the conventional rules of what people do or say is the only way so i just struck out on my own to figure this stuff out and i did i mean i worked hard to figure out how i could how i could kill white tails with a bow and arrow out here um mm-hmm. hunting the public lands hunting during rifle season I just wanted to like I said, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I wanted to get close and I wanted to earn it with a buck. And if I killed him, I had so much respect for him that I wanted to get inside of his zone and say, okay, you earned that. So that was my thing, Jim, but I uh, I, I got involved with a company out of Michigan, Buck Fever Synthetics, and then Andre DeQuisto and Whitetail Addictions through it all. And the truth is it happened because I started knocking down deer and they were, they were open to me getting involved with them. And of course, I mean, what's, what I really am proud of about that is both those relationships started decades ago. And I'll just say this, the people I'm involved with in the hunting industry are just salt of the earth people. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap out there too. And yeah. I absolutely, you know, cherish the fact that I'm part of the Whitetail Addictions team. I actually work for Andre now and uh I'm you know, very proud that I'm a scrape hunter and that I've used that synthetic stuff to my advantage over the years with the whitetails and I like that it's healthy for the deer and it doesn't cause any diseases or anything like that. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now, Jim. Whitetail addictions, uh lone wolf custom gear is Andre's company through, uh, and Whitetail Addictions is our show on YouTube, and then the Buck Fever Synthetics crew out of Michigan that I've used their product and promoted it, been an ambassador for them for years. So, yeah. sorry for talking so much, but that gives you a bit of the background.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's perfect, man. I'll, I'll kind of talk louder, so, uh, so hopefully you can hear me all right. Um, yeah. I, I, I tried to adjust my phone a little bit. Um, maybe I'm pointing towards the speakers or whatever, but anyway... Yeah, man, I, I've been using Buck Fever synthetics ever since I, I met you a few years ago, uh, and it's it's totally changed the way I hunt whitetails. So uh, we'll get into all that because I want to talk about scrapes and I want to talk about hunting uh, the you know public land in a tree stand and and all all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, but we I, I'd be remiss, man, if I didn't if I didn't uh, give a shout out to your boys, man, Jess and Ty, man. You've got. Uh, Jess out there what what is he in like the t- top 20 of world bass fishermen on the planet and then and then Well, tie.
1: he's he, for for an amateur or let me let me clear that up. Yeah, Jess is Jess went to Nationals this year, qualified number 1 out of Idaho, number 2 in the Northwest, went to Nationals, ended up 22nd. But he's trying to get to that next step of fishing the elite series. Yeah, yeah, man. And he's killing. And him. then, and then Ty, of course, is over playing football at Montana State as a sophomore this year in football, and he just killed a really nice Montana River bottom buck. I oh, I saw that, man!
0: How cool is that? He killed that buck. That was a great buck. Um, so, congrats, Ty. I, I think I saw. I, I think I saw him jump on here at some point. I'm trying to go through all the comments here. Hey, by the way, Joel, those are questions we don't ask on this, buddy. Joel Swecker. Um, Anyways, uh, yeah, cool, man. Well, give us – I don't know how to get these comments out of the way now. Now I can't see your your, uh, handsome face, fella. Give us kind of a – because you have – when you were on the show the first time, we talked about – how, you know, hunting whitetail is like this year-round thing for you. You start by locating these bucks. You, you find their sheds in the wintertime. Uh, you kind of track them. Um, my lights are going crazy, crazy man. You tra- track them through the year. You you run cameras. Uh, and then you set up in, in areas where you know you're going to have success on these, these bucks. Give us kind of your overall strategy, how that works, and I'll fix my light so it doesn't fall on my head. <laughs>
1: Gotcha. I think my overall strategy, you know, obviously has evolved quite a bit over the years. But the biggest thing for me, Jim, is putting that year-round work in. That one, I love to do it anyway. Yeah. And two is just I I only hunt, and, and just for your listeners, just because I only hunt specific deer and hunt older, really age-class deer, doesn't mean that what I share with everybody can't help them get a nice buck, it will. As a matter of fact, yeah. I think I make it as hard on myself as I can. I I choose to hunt public, I choose the mountains, uh, and I choose age, and I choose a very rare caliber of whitetail that I can find. And And that's, why do I do that? Because that is what has taught me the most. Um, yeah. I like to learn. And, you know, you, you look, you compare it to like real life. If if a third grader's teaching you something, if a ninth grader is teaching you something, if a 25-year-old guy's teaching you something, and I'm not saying you can't learn from all those people, but when you start talking to people, men and women alike, that have had 10,000 miles in the saddle or whatever their whatever their passion is or what they love to do, then you start listening to them and talking to them and learning from them, you learn a lot because they have so much wisdom and experience to add into their intellect. So yeah. I, I like to target whitetail bucks that have all that experience, that have defeated everybody else trying to kill them, including the wolves, the lions the grizz the black bears and all the humans and those are the deer that have t- taught me and given me so much back to just help me sharpen you know sharpen my skills can can we talk about can you describe
0: which by the way any of you uh, that are watching that are local to like north idaho western montana eastern washington um, any, any of you guys interested, Troy does these cool whitetail boot camps in the summer. Uh, what, what do you do like three or four of those in the summer and they sell out every time you do them. Um, and, and so I, I, I say that so that if, if you guys are local and are interested in that, keep an eye out for that next year, because, uh, the, the, everybody that I've known that have has gone through those whitetail boot camps with Troy here. Uh, has killed bigger bucks more consistently since i 've known them so it's it 's definitely worth it but um i want to talk about scrape hunting can you for for those that don 't might not know like i didn 't even really know i knew what a scrape was, but i didn 't quite understand what a white tail scrape was in the in the mountains you know for these mountain bucks um what what is a scrape and how how do
1: you make them um well first of all a scrape is a is a whitetail deer's communication center for the entire herd. And, you know, I've hunted all, all over the country, Jim, and in Canada on purpose, so I'm not just speaking from the mountains. Yeah, um, I've got a lot of people that I converse with all over North America that have just really flipped the script on their whitetail hunting by diving into understanding the biology of scrapes and how... They're very beneficial year-round. Um, there's two main important parts of a scrape, two key parts to the scrape. We can talk about real quick, but what it is for your listeners that if they've never heard of it, it's the communication center for whitetails to deposit scent and leave their calling card. Not to mention just their calling card. Biologically, it leaves a, it leaves an imprint, a blueprint of how healthy those deer are to each deer which in the world of procreation and the survival of the fittest and the healthiest, those deer don't consciously think about it, but they, what they do is they process this information and in, then it steers, for example, those that are coming into estrus towards the most favorable genetics out of the box. And all of this is going on inside of a whitetail's uh, brain and system to steer them in the right direction for the best chance of survival. So scrapes are pretty important. Um they get addressed year-round. There's two parts. There's the licking branch where they deposit forehead gland, preorbital gland, saliva, which gives identification. And then they scrape the dirt below it. They scrape the uh, vegetation actually below it and get it down to dirt. And then they deposit their urine over their tarsal glands into that so they're just dumping a ton of information jim it's kind of like their social media center to find you know match.com so to speak
0: yeah and and it's it's super interesting how effective those are if you guys are running cameras uh up in the mountains man you start making these scrapes and you're keeping up on them and and uh, which i got a question for you on that troy when when i make a scrape and, and it rains a bunch. How often are you freshening up that that, uh, that scrape you're making, that mocks? We call them mock scrapes, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and a mock is one that you build. I also overmark existing scrapes all the time that are productive. But to answer your question, Jim, you know, you're using a product that I use. If you use the buck fever synthetics, it crystallizes and stays in the ground and on those branches a lot longer than other products. And it's engineered that way to crystallize and hold the scent. It's hard to find something that's that works that well. Uh, there are a lot of other scents out there that work good as well. One thing I've always done is on purpose tested them all. Everything that's come on the market, you know, if they track me and what I bought over online over the years, I've tried it all. And I still have a hard time finding any better anything that's more productive and does not spook deer than the buck fever. I've literally never had it spook a whitetail on camera or in person or around me. So that's pretty good considering I've been killing deer since I was uh, 12.
0: And I've been using buck
1: fever synthetics for 30 years almost.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting you say that because I I don't want to make this a big ad about buck fever, but... Um, I've used other ones, and I've noticed on camera, man, it's it's uh, it's scaring those bucks off, uh, scaring those bucks off. Yeah, blood uh, fever. I've never had that issue. So
1: yeah, what happens, Jim? It's real simple. It's biological. If if you're using scent that comes and has been collected from live deer, a lot of times those collection systems include feces, urine, everything. Well, it it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that real urine and real feces mixed together in a bottle and sitting in a bottle is gonna stink and it's gonna rot. Now, there's some people out there that are uh, freezing stuff right out of the animal, collected correctly. That's a different ballgame. And I'll never, ever uh, disrespect people or companies or entities that are getting it done right. I just really like the Buck Fever because it's so tested, tried, and true, and it never spooks my bucks. It actually, I mean, I I post videos all the time, uh, usually after the fact because I don't want to give away my big deer. But uh, I'll post yeah. stuff after the fact, or like on Ty's buck. Uh, you know that buck Ty killed. We had him on a scrape, I believe, in two days, and he was just addicted to it. Wow.
0: So Troy, if you're if you're going out there and you're going to make a mock scrape, and uh, I I am assuming what 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 I've learned from you is I go find an area where I feel like it's, it's some sort of pinch point or common travel corridor, somewhere that I can get out of the thermals and out of the scent. Now, um, for me, I don't I don't really do tree stands, uh, but, but let's say we've got people listening that, that they want to either get out there in a tree stand or a ground blind or something and, and start creating a mock scrape. What are you looking for to, to find that perfect location to start making that mock scrape and get your get your uh, stand, whether it's a ground blind or a deer stand? Because uh, if I remember right, you're like 25, 30 feet up in a tree because uh, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, how high I get in a tree is always situationally dependent to the needs of the spot. Yeah, um, I got to make sure a buck doesn't smell me. So if I'm on a steep hillside, I got to get pretty high. If I'm sitting yeah. on the edge of a if I'm sitting on the edge of a bench with a thermal vacuum creek right behind me, I don't have to be as high. So it's situationally dependent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, where I do have to get high, and where I know that I can get a buck to daylight, then yeah, I got to play that game. But to answer your question about for all hunters, and this is something I tell everybody in my the start of all my boot camps, I say it doesn't matter if you rifle, muzzleload, bull hunt, whatever. When you're here today. I can promise you this. I'll teach you guys how I get as close as I do to deer and kill them. If you're sitting back further, you got a way bigger advantage than me because I'm splitting hairs with big whitetails. Yeah. I am I am pushing the envelope as far as you can, and most of these big bucks I kill are honestly 30, 35 yards. I think I've shot that twice in my life. Everything else has been 25 and in, and a lot of them have been 8 to 10 yeah seven to nine, you know, real close, so i'm in i'm I'm on them and they don't know it um so for all the listeners, doesn't matter what weapon you want to hunt a whitetail with. If you build a scrape, the first the key is is the location, and the second important aspect of that location is can you access that location without spoiling that you're there to the deer? Can you get in and out?
0: What What do you mean by that, Troy? You mean access as you're coming into the stand, or as you're building the
1: scrape multiple times, or well, like when you that? build, well, when you build, it, when you first of all, and again, I I need to write a book on this because we could be on here for six hours. I know, right? But I'll try, <laughs> try to break it down super simple. Keep it keep it simple tonight, so I don't you know keep you guys on here too long. The location of where you put the scrape is number one. You have to put it where the kind of caliber of deer, and I don't care if it's a one year old to a 20 year old deer, you got to decide what caliber you're after. And then you got to make that scrape set up to where those deer exist. And then once you figure out that those deer exist in that area, then you got to place that scrape in a location that they favor in the daylight. They have to feel really secure in the cover or right out of the edge of cover. And I kill a lot of bucks. Ten yards, five yards out of the edge of big cover, like stuff you'd never see them in unless you were nose to nose with them. Like your so location and placement is key. But let me finish this, Jim. Go ahead. Go ahead. And the wind currents at those locations have to work in your favor for that scrape. And there's some interesting things that I do with dispersal too, but you have to use. Everything has to work together to get your scent out like a trap for those deers, for those deer to come to a scrape. If that makes sense. Yeah. So if you don't have the right location, you're pissing in the wind, you're wasting your time. Let let me me ask you this. If you're, if you're in an area, you're looking for a new area to, uh,
0: you know, you're scouting for uh, a place to set up a mock scrape in a, in a deer stand or whatever. um, And you are, You know there's deer in the area. You 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 could tell there's some old old rubs or or whatever's going on. Maybe you've had some cameras in there. But you walk into somewhere and and like right off the bat, you're like, Bam, I am not putting a scrape or a stand here. What what would that look like? What what would be a big no no for you to put a stand?
1: Well, I'm not an old deer. So if my spot doesn't give an old whitetail about everything he wants and he he's got to think he's got everybody beat and he's got to feel safe and then i need to be able to infiltrate that and and basically assassinate him right off the edge of his nose so jim i go go into a spot and if i can't get the wind to work for me and a way that i can get off the edge of his nose and just miss his nose most of the in most directions then i don't even try um okay i always start with the wind and location together they coincide so any like for example i built a big scrape in a new spot just a few days ago but i spent two or three hours in there walking it all breaking breaking down exactly where I needed to enter, exit, hang a tree stand, build the scrape, have the prevailing and thermals work for me day after day after day when I'm not there so that in my very minimal time of getting to hunt, when I go in there, that thing's been working for me 24-7 for days. Okay. And it starts to frequent a specific caliber of deer I'm after, and if I can get him to frequent, then i I'm in the game, and he's in trouble. So wind, okay. location, if the wind won't work right for me, Jim, I can't build it there. And that does answer your question. That wind has to work right for the deer and for me.
0: Yeah. Wind. Wind is a, is a key. I mean, it's for anything, right? I, I, I That's the biggest thing I'm looking for when I'm – if I'm calling in a bull, I'm, I'm yeah. paying attention to the wind. If I'm setting a stand for whitetail, I'm paying attention to the wind. If I'm setting a bait barrel for bear man, bears can smell like four and a half miles away. You just kind of got to learn. I think that that's one of those things too, Troy, that like it's, and I said this on the podcast recently, there's some things that cannot just be taught. There is this, there is this nature that develops in you as a hunter as, as years go by that you kind of develop these, uh, these senses for, okay, I I could tell that this is not going to be an optimal wind spot the thermals are going to be constantly getting checked going downhill right here whatever the case is so you you said something earlier um as right after i asked that you're looking to give a, a a big mature buck everything he wants can you tell can you tell me like what does a big mature want what is everything he wants
1: first thing he wants is safety he puts safety over everything cuz he's Learn that if he wants to stay alive, he's got to be safe. The bucks I hunt, the bucks you hunt out here, Jim, get hunted by wolves and mountain lions every damn day. Yeah. You know, you know, bears and bobcats and all the other little predators, you know, we got the alpha predators, but the mountain lions and the wolves, I'll tell you what you want to teach a buck how to stay alive and be smart. You put those animals on them 365 days a year. So what these bucks do, Jim, when we talk about wind and what they need is they need a location where the thermals and the prevailings protect them 24-7. And they position themselves based on prevailing and thermal mixes based on different times of the day to be safe. And that's, that's how they play their game. They, they okay. always need good security cover, Jim, in the mountains. Um, you know, when I hunt out of state and hunt farms and stuff and hunt farm country where deer are used to humans and they tolerate humans, that's a whole different ballgame. Uh, but it is easier for me when I go to those places where there's more tolerance to humans. It's much, much more, I'll just say it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) But back to these mountain bucks, they gotta have great bedding and mountain bucks don't bed in the same damn bed every day or they'd be dead. They'd be wolf shit um so they do bounce a little but what they'll have is a core bedding zone and i probably didn't even talk about it yet but everything i do outside about three weeks of rut is based on where that buck's bedded and i'm getting in tight again you know covert type stuff on a whitetail and you got to get in tight and not blow it and trust me i've i've screwed it up enough times in my my life to where it teaches those hard lessons after you put all that initial work in. They got to have feed. They got to have, they got to have females in conjunction with where they're living that they can get to. Um, so feed, water, bedding, security cover. They got to have the girls too, because that's how, that's how they're programmed. They're programmed to breed and they're programmed to pass on their unbelievable genes when they live a long time and when they, Basically, beat Mother Nature and all of us humans trying to kill them. So all of those things into into one. gym I look for. I, I really look for good habitat that whitetail older bucks tend to hide out in, and that usually means a lot of brush and a lot of timber and a lot of cover. And I've said this in a few podcasts in the past. These old whitetails like it dark. They travel in the low light. They travel in the heavy canopy. They learned that if they're out in the open, bright light, they get shot at or they're dead. Or they never made it to get old because that's what happened to them when they were young. They've also had a lot of res- negative stimuli thrown at them in their lifetime to where they've survived it, learned from it, and they shy away from things that were a negative stimulus in the past. And then they go live like hermits, these old bucks that I hunter by themselves. I'm hunting a seven and a half year old right now. He's never with another deer. He has mountain lion scars over both shoulders. Both shoulders have mountain lion scars. Uh, he's 250, 260 pound mountain whitetail. He's seven and a half years old. I've known him for five years. I've studied him. I I left him alone until he was six and a half, was going to hunt him at six and a half, and ended up getting on a different deer that was killable and left him alone again. So I'm hunting for the first time this year at seven and a half, and I'll just say he's avoided every rifle hunter, every bow hunter known to man, and he lives in some heavily brush, brushy, underbrush, timbered canopy places that good luck trying to sneak in on him or get close to him unless you have it figured out and you've got to exit an exit and entrance that works
0: excuse me it blows my mind it blows my mind with that troy it's like uh you know you when it, i spend a lot of time in the woods for bear and elk and you know chasing mule mule deer and it what what is always surprising to me is when i go set a camera back into the you know somewhere in the back country or whatever uh the bucks that you don't see when you're on the mountain that show up on these cameras and i don't care if it's three in the morning or 10 o'clock yeah you know it, it blows my mind people i see a lot of complaining on social media too that like hey you know there's no big bucks left and and it's like man you need to go set a camera out out somewhere where it's not on some main trail because there are some big bucks out there, and they're like I, I always feel like Troy they're out of my league. You know they're they're I I'll never be able to hunt a buck like that, but I'm I'm getting better at it every year. I got a, I got a, my best one last year. Thanks a lot to you. And uh, actually, I I caught him on the way to the scrape, uh, but he was heading down the trail to the scrape, and I was heading to my stand. Uh, and I was I was wearing snowshoes because it had snowed a bunch, <laughs> and this sucker walked out and gave me a shot. So um, got him with my bow, and uh, yeah, it was, it was yep.
1: it, it, this is stuff I would never have done like five years ago.
0: Yeah, and uh, I for, think
1: for, for I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think you made a good point too. A lot of people think, oh, I couldn't kill the deer like that; they're out of my league. Well, they're out of my league too. One time, yeah, and it just just comes down to you know how bad do you want to learn how to, you know, how to, how to, how to get in on them. And the truth is the people in the world, in my opinion, that are, that get really successful at stuff. They're really good at figuring things out and they're very determined and they hang in there. Even when I get beat up all the time, I get beat. Yeah. Uh, I get, you know, I work all season for 10 seconds of truth. And when that time comes, great
0: line. I love that line.
1: I work all season for that, and I got ten. It's usually ten seconds on a big deer because they don't they don't waste time in spots and they don't hang around much. Um, So I'll work all season on a buck and get that time, but I'll get defeated by this or that through the season over and over. And you just have to get used to, um, you know, it just. You just have to get used to being able to to get beat and be okay with it, not let it mentally get at you and then, like you said jim you're getting better and better every year and it it becomes more i don't know it becomes more fun it, it it's exciting it is it's
0: a whole other game man i mean i i've mastered the whole go out and shoot a little three and a half year old buck i've mastered that i i, I want i i want to move on you know and and get to that next level and and work towards like, because I've only been hunting whitetails seriously for less than five years. You remember the first time you came on my podcast, you came to the studio and, uh, I was like, I was like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I I like to hunt whitetails every once in a while, but I, I'm a mule deer guy and I still am a mule deer guy, but, uh, I tell you what, there's nothing like these mountain whitetails, but, uh, and I'm, I'm just like addicted to them. And a lot of it is, is, is the fact that there's, there's all these stepping, uh, stepping stones to greatness in whitetail hunting, right? It's, it's not, the way you hunt a young buck is way different than you hunt a mature buck, you know, and, and all the, all the in-betweens uh, just make it a lot of fun. So let's get to, you cool if we uh, get to some listener question, or uh, sorry, I'm trying to read it at the same time, listener questions?
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, fire away. Let's, let's help. Let's, let's get some questions in and let's talk to people. Yeah. So all you guys listening, if you guys have questions, just put them in the comments there
0: and I can, uh, I can scroll through and and we'll ask them as they come in. We'll start with one that uh, came in through the email by uh, my buddy Mason. He's got, he's got a couple of questions and I think they're the kind of questions that a lot of people are going to have. So he's asking historically, what time of day would he consider to be, what would you, Troy, considered to be the ideal time for having bucks come into the scrapes during the rut is it morning midday later afternoon sundown um what 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 do you think your pattern like the most common pattern you found is
1: well during the rut you know it's very sporadic it's you need to be there all day because during the rut you're not going to get a you're not going to get a consistent time of day because a lot of times you're you're hunting deer; they're five miles from their normal bedding area, or two miles, or three miles. So, if you're going to hunt a scrape during the rut, you're focusing more on the fact that you got adult does there that need bread. and then you got to hang in there and be there all day. And that's no joke if you if you want to do what I'm doing, um, meaning getting on mountain bucks. They're really, you know, it really is dependent. Jim, on on how close you are to a buck that is bedded near that scrape that he's monitoring. And that buck might be a buck that's moved in from three or four miles away. That buck might be a homebody that's been there every year doing the same thing with uh, with certain does, and he's kind of a homebody. So, again, every buck's different and scrapes during the rut. My best advice to anybody, you're on a good scrape with mature does sit there cover it especially okay. if you got big bucks frequenting it now outside of the rut's totally different i build scrapes at bucks outside of the rut i put them in their face and i get them to come and check because i've i've given them something that they're not used to having in their territory okay but during the rut it's kind of it's sporadic it's a lot more sporadic than timing so be there all day okay and and one more question
0: from from the same uh, same guy, uh, and, and I think this again, this is a good question. Weather weather system to hunt is there? Do you have a preference on like before a front, after a front, uh, while it's raining? You know, anything like that. What what is your thought? What are your thoughts on on the weather patterns?
1: Uh, love, love weather patterns are super important. I'm going to start with if it's raining heavy, I don't like killing deer with a bow when it's pouring rain because i like to blood trail so if it's pouring the rain you know it's got a. Uh, i've never done it i've never shot one in a heavy heavy rain on purpose because i want to make sure i can blood trail him but other than that i absolutely love being in a tree prior to a front rolling in well when a front rolls in and the clouds show up and bad weather comes a lot A lot of times the pressure drops a little, but it still triggers those deer to want to feed, to get their essentials taken care of before the storm hits so they can go hunker down a little. And it's dependent upon how severe of a storm it is, whether it's rain or snow. And then I absolutely love being in a tree right when weather slows down and stops, and then the whole earth just wakes up. And the animals that have been hunkered, they like to get up and move. And they like to do their thing, and their thing is all biological. And they're eating, you know. If it's during the rut, they're chasing their or they're roaming. Uh, yeah, so I like pre and post fronts. Some of the front, like some of the storms, I actually like to hunt in, as I I like wind. I like uh, eight to twenty mile an hour wind. Uh, I like a wind that really picks up and is steady for me and it deletes the noise uh on box. meaning their senses are dulled a little bit when it's windy and i've killed some of my bigger older whitetails when the wind is a little higher like it, it in my opinion it hinders them a little bit in their senses when it's windy uh love to hunt during the snow uh my least Favorite is a downpour rain.
0: Yeah, yeah, I hate hunting in the rain anyway. Just uh, <laughs> it's always a pain. But oh, so you,
1: you uh, give me drizzle, you give me a light rain and drizzle, money. Oh yeah, I'm just talking yeah, totally. straight, yeah. straight downpour in the mountains. You know, if you've ever sat at five thousand feet in a tree stand on a heavy rainstorm, it feels like the thunder and lightning is going to knock you out of your tree.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, man.
1: So uh, another question from uh, Casey
0: underscore Dragon. Uh, hey, Casey. He says, I asked recently personally, but hoping to learn more about time of season, not time of day, like the previous question. So it's kind of tying into what we're talking about, but timing-wise, like early rut, mid rut, late rut, time of season. What uh, what's your what's your take on that, buddy?
1: Well, I like them all. You got to hunt them all a little bit different. You got to play the game with what the whitetails are teaching you and what they're doing. So, like right now, the rut, the rut in this country isn't fired up yet. It's 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 what most people, in my opinion, would consider pre-rut. Um, but what I'm seeing is is bucks are starting to check some of my scrapes distances from their home range. So they're starting to just go check a little bit like snooping a little to see if that first doe is ready to come in. So that's going on right now here in about two weeks. Stuff's just going to be going zing, 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 zing zing all day long. And then in about three weeks from now, bucks, big bucks are going to really surface and they'll come in and they'll just get rid of all the young deer that are about to breed a doe and they'll take over. They'll breed the doe and then they'll move on to that next doe. And that's all based on photo period. Uh, Yeah. these old bucks learn when specific does come into heat in their range and photo period never, never changes so those does come into heat yearly on those specific day day or two within a day or two based on the light in the day which is photo period so what I try to do during the actual breeding phase of the rut is be in an area where I have historical data of a specific buck I'm trying to kill where he likes to breed a certain doe and then later um later when that rut starts to wind down and there's only a few does left you got to go back to hunting the few does that might be left and figure out where that's at which is a lot of work and then you also got to look at food back to food getting ready for winter we have we have a ton of or we have a lot of snow here and we have really rugged winters. So our bucks tend to try to eat decently before I'd say before Christmas.
0: Yeah. 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 I uh let, let me ask you something. This is just something that pops into my head. I, I really geek out with certain things like um deer. Uh, And and specifically like when elk seem like they're more ruddy during September, you know, and I I really pay attention to that. And I kind of track that like the dates I've, I've, I've stuck an elk, a bull. um, I'll remember that day forever. And I, I, I have a couple of days in September that always stand out to me and they're always good days. Do you have something like that for, for whitetail? Like in your mind, is there a day that, um, you've killed more big bucks on than any other day or a week or something like that, that, that stands out?
1: Um, not really. I've always prided myself in killing them. Like I look around here, I killed them from August 30th all through September, October, November and December because I hunt bedding areas and I know where they're living. Yeah. Um, now if you're not doing that, and you just want to pick a real good day in the Northwest to hunt a whitetail, or I'd say anywhere, then you need to know the dates where the most mature bucks start showing up in the daylight on does. And out here, I'd say it's a little, little later than in the Midwest.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I would, I would, second that for sure i think the 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 biggest bucks i've killed have actually been on the, like the last day in november first day of december yeah no, um that's, that's
1: wrong think. those are good those are real good days yeah yeah uh okay we've got
0: uh let's see here guys bear with me with some of these these questions uh i'm like a i'm a rookie when it comes to doing this instagram live thing so Rowan vandergrift uh rowan grand Vandergriff. Hope- hopefully i'm saying your name right dude uh Wrong. do you think there is anywhere else in the world where it's harder to kill a mature whitetail i'm
1: well, the pol- he must be north idaho no no he's not um do i hello i'll just say this i've hunted all over the, i've hunted in a lot of places to kill a mur- first of all to kill a mature whitetail you have to have old deer so you do have to have some age structure and the thing that saves our deer, not a lot of them, very few, but what saves a couple, and understand I'm going out and spending my year-round life finding one deer, which a lot of people aren't going to be interested in doing. But, yeah. but you got to have a mature deer, and then to kill one with a bow and arrow equipment, I've never hunted in any place that's tougher, not even close. And, and this is why. It's not not because of humans; it's because of the predators. Our our old whitetails, like that buck I told you I'm hunting this year, our old white tails get damn near killed by a mountain lion. Probably I'm gonna guess once or twice a year minimum, maybe more. I would love to know. I mean, I I hunt deer all the time that have been attacked by them, that have the scars, and I just can't think of anything in the world that hunts more covertly than a white than a mountain lion and then throw a pack pack of wolves in on top of that that'll run you to death and try to kill you so our deer are really hard to kill and this is why they have tons of experience with negative stimulus and they are, are very aware of what's going on around them all the time and i'm not talking about young bucks i'm talking about the old timers they have it figured out so no i would say it's just tough up here in these mountains and and I see some of the comments, hey, I'm public land, guys, so you're dealing with, Jim, you know how long our rifle seasons are, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, and we know what the road systems are like for logging. There's roads everywhere. So the truth is, yeah, I'd say these deer is tough to kill, especially an old whitetail with a bow and arrow is just about anywhere on the planet that has old whitetails.
0: are Central. Folks, if you want to learn something new right alongside me, check it out at silencercentral.com. I've never put a suppressor on any of my weapons, but I'm going to start now. And I'm using Silencer Central to help get me started because they walk you through the whole process. To include, you can ship the rifle to them. They'll thread it, they'll put it on, and they will ship it back, and you can make payments on the whole thing while you wait for all the licensing to get approved, which they take care of for you. It's a great process, and it's a great company, American manufacturer, right there in South Dakota, and we are really excited to be partnering with them. So check it out at silencercentral.com, or give them a call at 888-781-8778, and let them know that you heard it on the Western Huntsman. Hoffman Boots is my go-to boot. I love the Explorers in the 8-inch, and they've got the Vibram sole, totally waterproof, no break-in period. They just glue your feet to the mountain. You can't ask for more out of a boot, and you don't have to break the bank to get a pair. So check it out at hoffmanboots.com. Again, another American company a uh, local North Idaho friend of mine who runs this company decided to make some great hunting boots for all people that are serious about getting into the backcountry to chase elk and deer and bear and everything else out there. So check it out at hoppingboots.com. Use promo code huntsman 10 at checkout to save you 10%. Do you feel like, you know, you, you bring up, I mean, you bring up, uh, you can send me down a rabbit hole that'll take us another two hours to get through, but um, do you feel like it is whitetail, especially like older, mature buck whitetail, are they more affected by mountain lion than wolves, or are wolves more
1: of a, a of a threat to, to whitetail? Whatever's in the drainage is whatever. I've got a spot right now that's full of wolves. It always is, and it is a pain in the ass to hunt. And And it's rough on the deer. But a lot of it has to do with the population of predators, Jim, and what species is there. And I
0: asked I I was at an IDFG meeting last year up in Bonner County in in North Idaho there, and and, uh, they were saying that statistically both, both elk and whitetail populations are a lot more heavily affected by mountain lion than they are by wolves, but... My my uh, my concern with that is like my cameras say
1: otherwise. You know, well, the, who your, who was who was given, who, who given that data?
0: Who uh, was given that data? Idaho Fish and Game was given that data at, at a at a comment or a, just a you know an open period of uh, discussion
1: or whatever they call those. I'm yeah. a blank on what they call those. So news. so you you Jim you know, Jim, you, know. you got to consider the source. What's the What's the initiative behind that data? What is the motivation? Yeah, I, I I I don't understand why
0: they would be motivated to skew it though, because again, cameras don't lie. And my cameras, I get 10 wolves or, or wolf pictures on my cameras. I mean, actually, I take that back. I get like 50 wolves per one mountain lion. I I rarely get a mountain lion. I never see them. Uh, I I I never get them on camera. You see the tracks,
1: though, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I see the tracks. Yeah. Well, well, here's the deal. Um, If you're getting that that many wolves on camera, you're in a you're in a you're in some drainages that have a lot of wolf packs in them, and you got to deal with with how those wolves who who they like to eat. And and I, I don't know about you, but wolves like to eat elk and moose a lot. Yeah. Mountain lions. Mountain lions size up really good with a white tail deer. So, yeah, I, mountain lions. You heard me earlier in the podcast. They're pretty dangerous for a white-tail. I mean, that's yeah. why I see the claw marks on my old bucks.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, okay. but okay. but I mean, they also mountain lions also are so sharp. They'll avoid cameras. They'll avoid your track in the snow, and they'll they'll skirt around you a hundred yards, and you'll never know they're there.
0: There was a comment. Um, well, yeah. Let's get to some in,
1: questions, Jim.
0: Yeah, B underscore Creech eighty four. Uh, it's kind of t- it's a question that kind of ties into what uh, what we're talking about. Has the Northern Idaho deer population down? Is it as down as it is in northeastern Washington? Seems like the population has dropped over the last two years. Uh, do you think the popula- deer population is down,
1: or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I. I feel like I do way more research in the woods than most government entities and my cameras don't lie. And trust me, Jim, don't ever let them take our cameras away because that's what they want. And then we can't argue. Um, yeah, I've seen uh, it happen in other states. Yep. I'm telling you, Jim, it's all about control. We don't, we don't even want to go down that rabbit hole right now. But when you live in states with huge public land, trust me, we the people, we need some proof. Anyway, yeah. back to what I think on population. Our age structure in North Idaho is terrible. We have have a million baby bucks getting killed every year because 99% of hunters got to fill that tag that cost them 300 bucks. I wish we managed our whitetails better in North Idaho when it came to age structure. Put me on the record for that. There's nothing wrong with that. It needs to be done. It's never been done. I go to Midwestern states that do it and it's, Incredible how good the age structure is. Uh, you know, kill an extra dough for the meat. Do things like that if you're looking for meat. We don't need to, we, we really need to help our immature bucks out to get them, you know, let them get to two or three years old before they start getting whacked. You know, kids, t- teenagers, uh, senior citizens that, you know, or, you know, people that can't get out as much, you know, make that a different type of setup but our age structure is not great our overall populations you know it's there's a lot of deer especially around town where everybody sees them but when you really start looking at the caliber of healthy mature breeder bucks nothing like it was when i was growing up in the 70s and 80s nothing nothing like it as soon as idaho went to two buck tags and allowed all of that uh out over the counter two buck tags it just really made it tough to find a mature buck hardly anywhere and people say well yeah but you do well i put the time in and and yeah. it's what i love to do but i would like to see all people get to appreciate and hunt an old an older age class of deer and i'll be honest bull elk too i'd love to yeah see a better age class of bull elk in north idaho uh, we have zero restrictions up here. We're the redheaded stepchild of Idaho when it comes to management, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a you, you and I ought to get together and do a do a podcast down the road on on uh, management. Um, let's get back to some of these questions. Uh, it just uh, here, here's a good one for you, Troy. Turkey Slayer four hundred six. Do you guys spring turkey hunt?
1: You're damn right, we do. I don't, I can't speak for Troy, but
0: yes, absolutely.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I've killed a lot of big old gobblers, big Merriams. They're fun. Heck, yeah, man. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like to shed hunt and turkey hunt in the spring.
0: Yep. Yeah. I uh, throw in a little bear hunting for me, and, uh, and and we're in there. Oh, love bears. Love them. It actually works out. It always works out good in north Idaho, man. You got right as the snow's kind of clear and the, the turkeys are gobbling, and then as soon as, you know, a month goes by, and uh, and then you can access those those hot high, that higher country where the bears are at and, and and it's just like this big nice long season anyway. Uh, Casey underscore Dragon uh, asked another question with Idaho wet cold snow. What keeps you warm enough to stay focused for an all day hunt, Troy? Yeah, hey, I'll throw yeah. something uh, in real quick, buddy. Have you ever heard of a ahead. North Idaho tuxedo?
1: Me? Yeah.
0: I no. I wear the I wear the North Idaho tuxedo and that is a uh, insulated Carhartt set of overalls and man they do magic.
1: So what's your answer? Um, I've spent a lot of years in the frigid, freezing cold all day sets. I think I have a pretty good experience with it. Um, the best engineered, highest quality garments that I that I've worn. Uh, Obvious, and I have no affiliation with them, with Sitka. Uh, and and then uh, Sitka was great. Sitka Fanatic is great. Uh, very expensive, but want to talk about worth the money. It was awesome. Uh, but just recently, our Whitetail Addictions team uh, got sponsored by Osseo. And of course, I'm the biggest skeptic of any, any camel because it has to be deadly quiet, keep me super warm, and function so that I can kill a crackhead old whitetail that's always on alarm and we're and i'm hunting out of this osseo this year and i'll tell you what joe miles here's a shout out to joe and i'm not just doing it because he sponsors this joe miles has put out in my opinion the most white tail favorable long sit camo that i've been in that and sitka those two are tops uh you're gonna pay some money for good stuff but you want to talk about being able to hunt comfortable and last 10, 12 hours in zero degrees temperature. If it's sleeting and snowing on you, it doesn't matter. You can do it and that stuff. So Osseo yeah. and, uh, and I got to say this, Osseo and Sicker are the two quietest. When you're bow hunting, you got to draw that bow on an old mountain buck when he's rolling through and, He's on high alert just because that's who he is, not because he knows you're there, but you got to draw your bow and do all that stuff. And I film, so, you know, running a little camera on the side, things like that. You have to have extremely quiet clothing when you draw.
0: Yeah. yeah, I dig it, man. Um, Okay. Listy. I like this question. Uh, When you hone in on on a mature buck's core bedding area, what do you do next? Do you hunt mornings and get in early? Is your approach to, uh, this is what I really like about this question. Is your approach to each buck different? And if so, do cameras play a large role in that?
1: Well, every approach to every buck needs to be different if you really are studying him. Cameras are important in this country because we don't live in glassing country unless you're hunting, logging clear cuts, which I stay away from because every gun hunter in the world is shooting across the canyon at them. So I don't want to get, I don't want to have bullets flying at me and I don't want to deal with that. So because I go into big blocks of timber and can't see 30 to 50 yards past my face once I'm in there. Yeah, cameras kind of become important because it helps me gather information on an animal. And I run video on cameras so that I can learn about his behavior. And, of course, I always run windicators in my camera so I can watch what wind he walks in on and likes at my scrapes. Um, Mornings and evenings and finding a buck's core bedding area, I research him, figure out what he's doing in that core bedding area, when he likes to enter it and lay down in the morning, what time he likes to exit it, where he's traveling to and why. So, yeah, it's very situational. Um, and, yes, I try to gain as much intel on the animal as I can through video. Uh, could I still kill deer without cameras? A hundred percent. I can go get on a big set of tracks, find his beds. You give me snow, I'll get a deer figured out too. That's what I did before trail cameras for 15 years when I was serious about Whitey's, I didn't start running cameras till about 2005, 2006. What cameras have done for me is confirmed everything for me. Yeah. I waste less time. I don't waste as much time anymore. And, you know, I really study behavior for those individual bucks. So when I get into his core area, I get him figured out. Then I figure out, all right, where's the chink in his armor? Which kind of wind does he really like to travel on? And then when I figure out where he'll travel in the daylight on specific wind and thermals, then I go attack those weak points and those locations.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. I know we're, we're running a little
0: long here, buddy, but uh, you got time for a couple more
1: questions? Jim, I got I got time because I don't want to cut these people short. So I think we need to answer the questions. Absolutely. Uh,
0: this... This is an interesting question because I, I think I think a lot of people are wondering this, Troy. Uh Mason SCO twenty-one. What brand
1: of bow does Troy shoot? Uh currently I've been shooting a Darton because uh the white tail dicks. Well actually I shot Darton before this, but I'm shooting the Darton Lobo that Andre dequisto had uh teamed up with Darton with and I had a sponsorship for a while. They worked together. Um, I'm still shooting that bow. I also r- really enjoy the Bowtech line of bows. I shot those for a lot of years. I'd say those are my top two favorite, and I, I won't say, yeah, but I've been looking at a brand-new bow. I, I think I think my Darton, which is a great bow, is going to end up being my backup bow next year, and I got a bow that i really really been eyeballing that I'm looking forward to getting in my hands and testing it.
0: Awesome. Okay. Wild Pines Pursuit. They ask if, if you do not have access to a mature buck's core bedding area, is there anything you could do to draw them into a property where you do have access?
1: 100%. You build a scrape that blows in his nose, he's coming yeah. if you build it right. That's, man, if I, and I've, you know, like, for, here's a good example. My son just killed, killed a beautiful Montana buck very very small parcel we pulled all those bucks with a scrape and i i have the video evidence to prove it and trust me jim i've had people not believe in that for decades they just don't get it all you got to do is study the biology of a whitetail the stuff that ty and i have in daylight on his scrapes that he built those deer had never ever been hunted like that before they're jumping the damn fence to get to the scrape jim
0: Oh, absolutely. To get to you, that
1: I'll, piece of property. Absolutely. I'll
0: give you a great example. Remember, you remember uh, when you first came up to my place for that first podcast when I lived down in Hayden? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I lived on, that was a five-acre piece of property. And yep. I remember one one year, it was that year that you came up before, uh, you know, the following year, hunting season. I remember taking the kids. We were going into town to go trick-or-treating on Halloween, right? And across the street, as I pull out the driveway in my neighbor's property, we've all got like five acre plots out there. There's this this big four by five, big wide sucker standing in his, in his yard. And, and he, I could never get him to come over and tell you and I talked, I built a mock scrape. Guess what? He started hitting that thing. First. He started at night and then he got more brazen and started showing up in the daylight. And then, um, what do you think the end of that story is?
1: Yeah, exactly. My
0: neighbor the shot pal. that damn buck. That's what the end of the story
1: is. <laughs> but <laughs> the point the point is, is I almost got him, which yeah I wouldn't have ever had and, and you sucked buck, him right into your five-acre piece. What was that? And you sucked him in there. Oh absolutely, yeah. He,
0: he would not come over and I built that scrape and I was using the buck fever synthetics, and he started showing up, like I said, once a night, then twice a night, and then all of a sudden, He's there at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. And, you know, he, he's all over the place. And so, yeah, it, it definitely made a huge difference. So, so yeah, Wild Pines Pursuit, that uh, especially, I, I want to make a note, like, especially you guys, if you're hunting in Washington or somewhere that allows baiting, yeah. you're on these little parcels and you're competing against all these other properties that are trying to draw in bucks with their piles of corn or whatever, the scrape is what's going to make the difference. That's how, that's what's gonna set you apart from some of these other properties that are doing that. And you gotta play the game. If you're in an area where they're baiting, yeah, uh, you gotta play that game. Throw some bait out, but also double that
1: up with a with a yeah, great. Jim, when I hunt those bait states, you gotta play the game, you gotta give the does a reason to come and feed there or whatever. But I set up a triangle. So like when I hunt Washington, I'll put feed out in a triangle and I'll hold my does. I'll never, ever shoot those darn bucks in that feed because they know better, the old bucks. But 30, 40 yards away, I'll build a big scrape that's in heavy, right on the edge of heavy cover that he'll slip in, check it, eyeball over towards that dangerous bait pile that he's afraid of. And I'm talking old bucks. They've learned that they can't go there in the daylight. Yeah. And I've talked about this in podcasts for years. And I've done this in other states where baiting is legal. You play the game. And then you take it a step further and you build that triangle, your stand, wherever you want. I usually put the feet off to the side and get it out of my way and let the does, make sure I keep does around, especially during the rut. And then you build that scrape on the other corner of your triangle and you lay it out to where a big buck will comfortably check that scrape in the daylight and slide through. And I've been transparent about that for decades when I hunt bait states um and you got to do you got to play that game or you'll sit there and not have a doe anywhere at all and and you know I have no problem with either way you know if they wanted to shut every state down for baiting in the world I'd love it because I know that my scrape system would work amazing But I'll say this, and a lot of people don't consider this, and it's important. If they're going to do that that in some of these rugged states, they ought to take care of the animals and feed them after the damn season when they're starving and not let them die. That BS about letting animals just die because they're starving, I don't agree with. And the states that actually allow feeding, their deer are healthier, and their deer survive more. They survive the winter better, and they're just just a – a better herd, and I've seen it all over the country when I go to those kind of states. So yeah, that, that's, that's I, I really word. I really care about whitetails. I, I I hate seeing stuff starve to death when it doesn't need to. Yeah, I mean, do do people starve their cattle to death? Do people starve? I mean, we. Well, all, I'd also, rather eat a deer and an elk than a cow. I, I would. Yeah, I, oh, absolutely. Me so, too, man. And, so and, why are we taught in our society to let our resources die off? Is that because they want us to go to the damn grocery store and buy stuff from a damn grocery store all the time?
0: Oh, man. Don't get me started on this topic,
1: Troy. You also have to consider
0: on that topic, you know, when when we're developing all these former winter range habitats, you know, it's the same for whitetail, elk, uh,
1: mule deer, you know, where are they to go to feed during the winter? And so I'll tell you what, every, big... every every guy in Idaho ought to have a – Ought to have a alfalfa field that he sells alfalfa of just to help the damn elk and deer when they need it. Seriously, yeah, yeah, or have yeah. a, have fields that farm country is living proof. Farm country is living proof that the deer are healthier in our area, oh, Jim. All you got to do is get down around the farm country.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I live I live on the on an agricultural interface here in in western Montana. Yes, and and these these bucks. I, I mean, even the does, Troy. I, I, see, I see these does, and, and if, I, if I didn't have visual conver, uh, confirmation that it was a doe, I would have bet money that that was a big buck. They're they yep. big. They're healthy. They're fat. Uh, yes. Anyway.
1: Yeah. yeah off and off I'll, I'll finish with this. That buck, Ty, just killed in Montana. That might have been one of the, uh-huh. the healthiest five-year-old deer I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. That deer yeah. had an alfalfa field in the river bottom and he had a a cornfield a mile away and that deer was incredibly healthy and i like seeing animals that are well taken care of so there that's that's my take on it
0: all right so uh at bove mark uh the question is what's your opinion on bump and dump I, I don't understand that question. Maybe yeah, maybe that's short. a
1: that's a really really popular whitetail question. Let me explain that, Jim. Okay. So, so bow my if it's bow is it bow, bow. mark, bov v- mark. Okay, so my my opinion on bump and dump is situationally dependent on where you're hunting. If you hunt where whitetail deer have very limited bedding resources and they're forced to come back to bed in certain we're talking like chopped up ground, small wood lots, they only have those options. Then I really think and I've seen it, I've seen my some of my best friends do great with the bump and dump in the Midwest because it's all about what options those bucks have. They'll come back in bed if they get bumped once. They get bumped by humans all the time. Farmers uh, people around them, they get bumped, so they come back and they bed. And what happens, Jim, is you bump a big buck out of a bed. He leaves. You set up your stand. You hunt it immediately after that. Maybe the next day, or even in that same day, if you can hunt him in the evening, and you kill him because he circles back to his safe zone where he feels it's safe. Yeah. That works in places where deer don't have a lot of options, in my opinion. Gotcha. As soon as you get out here to the big woods, and you're hunting in. Th- three million acres of public and a buck can go five miles in an hour if he wants to real easy and he's been hunted by mountain lions and wolf packs bump and dump out here usually runs your deer out of the country because he doesn't have to come back to that spot he has multiple safe zones bedding areas that he rotates around in to avoid predators not to mention humans so there's my take on it. It's 100. percent, Again, you'll hear me say it again. Situationally dependent on what the environment, the human interaction is, and the habitat provides for sanctuary and bedding. Gotcha. Well, let's let's wrap this
0: up with a couple of um, questions that we got. Just from um, uh, I, I apologize. I don't. Rem- I, I can't find who asked this. But uh, when can you
1: people bet, sign up for your whitetail boot camp? Guys just need to message me because I keep it small, 10 to 12 guys. Uh, I don't like to have huge classes because I want to give guys one-on-one time. You know, I've taught for 31 years, so I do believe in the power of education. Uh, I'll start putting out dates that work into my schedule this early this spring for guys to look at. Uh, I'll be doing a couple in Idaho, one or two in Montana this year. I'm also going to the Montana state Bowman's, uh, big, they're doing, they do a big uh, banquet. I guess I'm speaking there this year, in Montana on mountain whitetails, but yeah, uh, nice. I'll get stuff on Instagram, Jim, anybody that, anybody that wants to talk to me about hunting, get with me on Instagram. I kind of use that for my hunting, my Facebook's more of a family page. Yeah, we throw some hunting stuff on there. But anyway, all that to say, yeah, I'll I'll start putting dates out. I don't want to think about that right now. I got a big buck to kill or two. I know. <laughs> but, right. but, yeah, I love those. And I like giving back to the hunting community. I've, I've seen a lot of guys that have come do do really well, uh, especially yeah. the guys that really took it serious. Like, I, I, I get a ton of feedback, and I save – the texts and stuff, a guy's killing their best bucks ever year after year. And, or they're just keep moving up the ladder. And I had a couple of them already this season from guys that were at my camp. They, they got their best buck ever. And that, that makes me happy because they, they really, they come for that reason. They want to become a more proficient white tail hunter and they want to step up that age class a little. Most, most of the people do. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Highly, highly recommend. I'd love to get you up here to Western Montana, maybe for, if we could squeeze in a weekend next year, sometime, and maybe set it up through Eastman's or something, um, it, it, I, I, it's a powerful class. So, B underscore Creech eighty four. What is the name of the scrape brand you use? So, uh, Buck Fever. What do you what are you putting on these scrapes from uh, from Buck Fever, Troy?
1: Just all their products. Buck Fever synthetics. I've used for decades. And do you do that?
0: Uh, they've got like a pre rut and and then a uh a full rut um i think those are the two that i mainly use do you have anything else that
1: people should use yeah you need to look at the estrus dough the the red moon buck i mean they're all blended a little different for different reasons and they they all work the forehead yeah. gland the forehead gland's the key you've always got to touch up that licking branch always yeah
0: yep that's what i found really works on mine so uh, that, that gland scent. So, yeah. Well, Let's Troy, take a few more a questions,
1: Jim. I see some guys jumping on that. I know that we're at my boot camp. Maybe they'll ask a question.
0: Let's see. Um, yeah. uh, Wild Pines Pursuit left question here. Would you make the scrape within view of those bait piles? So going back to, to putting a scrape, if you're in a state that can bait,
1: uh how close are you making the scrape to the bait pile? I gotta make it I put it far enough apart that my whitetail bucks aren't shy of it that are not afraid to come in. So picture a triangle in your mind. My stands off an edge wind at the very top of the triangle and then it fans out at what is it, ninety degrees each way or is it forty five? I'm trying to get my math right here. Anyway, draw your triangle. I like to separate them a good bit because I do not want a w- old buck to c- come in close and be fearful to come in because there's feed. I'll, I'll usually tuck that away over, and it usually has does that will visit in the daylight, and that's it. And for the record, I have never killed a big whitetail buck, an old one, in a feed pile, ever. Never. They won't go to it in this country. Yeah. And I'm talking about when I hunt like Washington State or when – Even like when I go down to Oklahoma, I was able to set up away from where the feed pile was and get closer to the bed, which worked great for me doing that way instead of being right on top of it. Um, Does that stuff work in other states? Yes, it does. These mountain bucks are real careful, real careful. So I like that 30 to 50 yards apart, meaning spread apart, and then I'm in the center somewhere but back just off the edge of all their wind. And I've got video of bucks coming in and circling around in the heavy timber. Walk over, check my scrape. And it might be an old buck, but it's just one I didn't want to shoot. Just check the scrape, stare across over to where he knows there's speed he could eat at night, and then he'll bail. He will not cross the opening or go to it. Now, if you're getting more lucky than me, you're a lot better baiter than I am. Cause I've never had a big one. One of my old ones stand right in it when I've had, when I've killed them. Not even. They're always headed to that damn scrape as as how I'm killing them. Where I hunt, where there is feed allowed. Yes. Gotcha. Cool. I don't
0: think. Um, I, I think of of the western states. The only state I know for sure you could bait is is Washington. I don't know about. Oregon. Actually,
1: I don't know about Montana either. They can't I, bait in Montana, do they? No. And Montana, I really like hunting Montana because there's just not a lot of scrape hunters over there. I mean, it those deer aren't used to being hunted like that. Yeah. And scrapes yeah. are just natural. Uh, uh-huh. Most of Montana gets hunted over crop fields, which, hey, let's be real. What's a crop field? It's bait. It's a bait pile.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. what's a crop field? And and I have nothing against it. I love that it feeds the animals. Yeah. But people need to people need to be upfront about that. If you're hunting a food plot, or if you're hunting a crop field, or if you're hunting a bait pile, you're hunting feed. Yeah. Feed is feed, feed is feed, and scrapes are scrapes. I like to keep them separated because the old bucks learn in their lifetime, if they're old, that feed is scary during the daylight. Feed period. Dav Baker 21
0: asks, uh, you only get a scout one. Which do you choose, March or October?
1: Oh, if I only get a scout one month? Yeah. October all day because I got some snow. I can backtrack any buck that's alive. I can find his beds. I can look at all the travel patterns in the snow. You give me October. And I'm glad he asked that because my seasons are split. I hunt September And then November, December, I don't hunt October, hardly ever. Uh, One, because my son's playing college football. Two, um, I really don't want a bullet accidentally flying through me in Idaho because of, you know, because of gun season. So what I do in October is I throw my bear gun over my back and my wolf and my lion gun or whatever predator that I can legally kill. And I scout and I hike. And all I'm doing is scouting like crazy for whitetails in November. In October, and I love it when I get some snow, because the snow yeah. tells you everything about a deer, everything. You don't even have to see him. You just got to know what you're looking for in a track, the depth of it, the size of it, the rubs, and then you find his beds. And That's what I've been doing this whole last month of October.
0: Mountain Man 5953, he asked, how close
1: to season do you freshen up the scrape? So the buck I want to kill coming up here real soon. I've got him freshened up a week, about a week out. Just because it pulls him, okay? They if he's in the area. And see right now we're right now we're moving into that full blown rut pretty soon. So if you want to kill a specific buck right now, a lot of people just want to get a buck. So all you got to do is sit in really good doe areas with good scrapes. But if you're hunting a specific buck like me, I need to get this buck killed in about five days, ten days max, or he's gonna be gone. Meaning he's gonna be out doing his thing away from me, and then then I get to play the who still sticks around and breeds the does that I'm on, and it might be him. But i also yeah. get some awesome trespasser bucks show up. Yeah. Here in about two, yeah, two. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys,
0: uh, for everybody listening, this uh, what we talked about. Our conversation tonight is going to be available on the Western Huntsman podcast. I'm hoping I'll have that download or uploaded tomorrow. Uh, we'll see. It's, cra- it's hunting season, so uh, you never know. <laughs> it's hunting <laughs> uh, season,
1: Jim. Nobody, nobody's even going to see this,
0: <laughs> right? I know. It's uh, uh, you know. Hopefully, hopefully, it's a good hunting. The, the nice thing about this time of year for hunting season. It's just long dark by the time we started this. So um, the uh, well, the other thing is, guys, if you are not following Troy on Instagram, I highly recommend it. It is MTN underscore MAN33.
1: Is that right? Yeah, Mount, Mountain Man 33. Um, yeah. The Mountain Man came from – Killing mountain bucks from a couple of my buddies a couple decades ago, so they just started calling me the mountain man. Uh, the other thing is, guys, the this is what, what that
0: beta grunt tube looks like that we were talking about the last couple episodes on the podcast. You get this beta from Phelps; it's it's really thick, super heavy duty, and it doesn't chintz out on you when. Uh, you know the temperatures. If you've ever used one of those chintzy grunt tubes, uh, you know it gets cold and they don't work anymore. This one I didn't. I, I was I was using that thing in like nine degrees last year. It, it works pretty well for that. So I just wanted to give everybody a visual. You can check that out at Phelps Game
1: Calls. Yeah. Uh, anything? And, anything else you want to leave the audience with, there, Troy? Well, for the Idaho guys, you know you're hunting a state that's real tough. But if you're uh, if you're out there right now and trying to get a uh, trying to get on a real nice whitetail, or, you know, just maybe making that next step up, the best thing I can say to you guys is put the time in, hunt those, those pre-fronts, post-fronts, go where you know there's good, mature doe family groups right now. Uh, if you've dabbled with scrapes, have, have those scrapes rocking that where you can see them. I don't care if you're hunting with a rifle way back or hunting with a bow and arrow, make sure you can visually see those scrapes and shoot those scrapes because i know a couple guys that will never say anything on social media but they have killed their best bucks in the last few years uh in our state and they privately send me the photos and all they say is hey thanks troy i got another one over a big scrape my next you know again my best deer so be out there really watch those scrapes and then be around the does for the next three weeks for sure. Yeah. Yes, indeed.
0: Wise words from a wise man, Troy. I can't thank you enough for doing this with me. It's always a pleasure, man. Uh, I can't wait to see how your, your season materializes. And you're just uh you're a solid guy, man. Always a, just a, a whitetail stud. And I, I appreciate you doing this and uh, we're definitely
1: going to do this again. Yeah been a while jim thanks for having me back on uh wishing everybody good luck and most importantly be safe out there and if you're hunting public land remember people we got millions of acres you don't need to be right on top of somebody i hope the mentality from more populated states never comes here and turns into well it's public land so i'm gonna sit right next to you that's just you know we got millions of acres you can go find a quiet spot if you're willing to work a little bit yep
0: Work a little harder, get away from people. Uh, find those deer, and you're going to find yourself a buck. I, I can't agree more. And, and Troy, uh, again, thanks thanks for doing this. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, good luck. Hey, keep us posted. If you guys get a buck, always uh, tag the Western Huntsman. Um, and uh, we, we like to see your success and share in it. So um, hopefully, hopefully, you get out there and, and make something happen. So, again. Yep.
1: Hey, and Jim, one last thing. Yeah, you man. shut us off, anybody that's still listening or out there, if there is anybody, uh, DM me on Instagram if you have any questions. Uh, I'm super busy hunting right now, but I always get back to everybody. Uh, I like to help. So if you had a question that we weren't able to answer here just because there was quite a few coming in, DM me. Send me the question. I'll read over it and get back to you. And, and good luck, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, guys.
0: Um, the question is, is how
1: how do I end it, Troy? (laughs) (laughs) Is it? I don't know. (laughs) I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of video podcasts, but I've never done the Instagram live before. This is only my my second one, dude. So, uh, bear with me. I think I
0: just pushed this X. Hey, Hey, don't don't cut me off yet. How's your season looking, Jim? I'll call you as soon as I get off this. I'll I'll call you. I'll I'll fill you in. I got a couple of good leads on a on a really uh, a couple of bucks.
1: Are we are we still live with the people watching? Yeah yeah yeah. I can't figure out how to turn it off. So should I push this
0: text. Hang on.
1: All right. Bye bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in.
0: You made it.